Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This episode is a combination of all the previous episodes with Daniel Sanchez, an engineering director at one of the biggest FMCG companies in the world. Today, in this episode, expect to learn the full masterclass on project financing, how cash flow forecasting works, uh, especially in CapEx, capital expenditure, how you can use payment terms and conditions to manage your company's cash flows and what cash flow productivity is and why it is important. As always, please rate us on your favorite podcast app, whatever it is. It helps us a lot, helps the podcast to get a better referencement and ranking. And on top of that, it makes Hussam and I very happy. So please and go and rate us on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to, uh, go and follow us on Instagram as well at Corporate Treasury 101. With that being said... On with the episode. Daniel, welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. Thanks a lot for accepting our invitation. Um, so you work in a big FNCG company. Can you yeah, talk about your experience, talk about yourself, what do you do there exactly? And then we'll go towards more corporate treasury topics. Cool. So, yeah, first, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, so a bit about myself. So I I'm, have an 18 years experience in FMCG company. Mm-hmm. I'm a chemical engineer by company, but I've never done any sort of chemical engineering. Very good. Right? <laughs> uh, but, but in an FMCG company, I mean, I work as a director of engineering. I've always worked in engineering and mm-hmm. grown my way up into as a director of engineering, where basically my main role what I've been working and what I've lived through is everything that is to do with delivering new products onto the market okay. or new equipments into the factories that will deliver the new products onto the market. Okay. Everything has ranged from uh, projects which are small, mm-hmm. $60,000, $70,000, up to multi-million dollar projects. Okay. I've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to work in more than 10 countries mm-hmm. and live in more than three so it's, been cool. a, it's a great experience. Awesome. And so what's the director position about exactly in, uh, in such companies? So you deliver product on the market, you enable the production of those products through equipment, installations, etc. What do you do as a director exactly? Is it mostly project management? Mm-hmm. Is it, uh, what, what do you do? Exactly? So there are actually three key okay. things that we look at, right? One is what you just mentioned, delivery, which mm-hmm. is picking the idea, making it come to life. And within that, especially in the corporate treasury element, all the investment that is related to it and how that flows through the time life of the project and the impacts, that's number one. Number two, there's also a strategic element to it where what we look is together with the business, we look at the two, three, four, five and beyond framework where we're looking at how can we deliver new products or innovative products in the best possible way. So investing the least, paying the least for it, and enabling profitability. And the third element is really uh, the cool stuff, so to say, which is the disruptive (laughs) innovation, right? Which is where we look at the technology of the future. Not so much for the technology in its its essence, but to look in terms of how can we deliver it for not only better products, but Mm -hmm. also for better performance of the company. Awesome. So the technology, not in the product itself that is delivered at the end, but how you manufacture this overall product and how the overall process behind it 
It's it how you manufacture it, how you maintain it, okay. uh, how you grow it, right? And sometimes it's really laying out the, the roadmap to make things more efficiency, right? Okay. In the end, everything from delivery to strategy to the innovation is really the constant pursuit of productivity. Awesome. Sounds interesting. <laughs> Especially the third part. <laughs> Uh, I can't believe I'm the one that I'm the one that has to bring it to corporate treasury. <laughs> so, um, so you work more as an engineering director, but mm -hmm. you have a lot of stake in this FMCG companies uh, in managing capital cash, mm -hmm. right? So these projects typically are investments that the company makes. We touched on investments in the past, uh, and you're the one that's really behind those investments, spending money, dealing mm -hmm. with paying suppliers, uh, paying for capital, etc., right? So what kind of financing related roles do you have, jobs do you have in your role? I mean, when it comes to finance, there, there's a series. You can look at it, it's, it can be as big as you want to look at it, right? But what are the key things, right? First, it always starts with when we're looking to bring something to the market is how do we deliver best value? And that comes in the form of two specific metrics. NPV, so net present value. So what's the value of a project over its lifetime? Mm -hmm. And then the second one is really a rate of return. Right, okay. so is how much of the capital or money of the company that I'm going to invest in the next five, six, 12 months, 18 months, mm -hmm. how much of that and how fast am I going to get that back? Okay. Right? You can have a great NPV, you can have a terrible ROR, that's not the project you really want to do okay. unless it's something strategic. So that's, that's component number one and that's the big component. And that's what typically will help us move things from the idea to life. Mm -hmm. right. And so just to rebound on that, what are you looking at typically? So you can have a very good NPV and a not so good ROI, so you wouldn't go for that project. What's the white, the sweet spot you try to look at? I mean, great NPV and great ROI, obviously, I guess. Yeah. But what's uh, the most important metric or how do you look at that exactly? So it's, it's always a combination of both, right? So okay. ideally, your NPV, you want it to be positive yeah. because that definitely makes sure that you will have a positive. No positive NPV, you don't have a positive rate of return obviously then ideally is when you're looking at short term you ideally want to get your investment within one year okay two years right if you're looking for a new to the world at the new to the world uh, innovation right you typically mm -hmm. you will have uh, substantial NPV but you're looking at the lower rate of return because the project lifetime is longer right so it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's almost sort of a leap of faith sometimes because longer time horizon you have less uh, now what what's net present value right net present value is basically it's Looking at the lifetime of a project, it can be one, two, three, five, ten years. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at the incomes that that project will generate, so how much money will come in. Looking at the outflows, right, which is the expenses associated to it, the capital investment in year one or year two, the depreciation associated to it. And basically looking at all that mass balancing and then discounting it to today's dollars, right? So it gives you a, a positive value if it's a positive generating project indeed. or indeed, <laughs> indeed, or a crappy project okay. in case there's a negative NPV, right? Rate of return, the way that it's typically looked at is how much of that investment that you put into the project you're actually going to get paid back year on year, right? Okay. So, and it comes in a percentage manner. So the higher the rate of return, the higher you get your money back. So typically it has an indication that the better the investment it is in terms of return for what you put in. Okay. Do you have standards? Like how much you expect on the rate of return? Like there is this concept of um, weighted average cost of capital that companies use to say, okay, mm -hmm. if we invest something, we expect at least that many percentage mm -hmm. of return. Is that like a standard in the industry of FNCG? What do, are we looking at in this kind of project? Numbers that we normally aim for. So 
you would look at it in different categories of projects, okay. right? So projects where you want a meaningful impact, something that is going to hit your productivity this year yeah. or the next two years, you want to have a high rate of return. So okay. the, the bigger the percentage, the more likely that project is to be selected amongst the ones to have an investment. Obviously. Okay. Uh, when we look at strategic projects, Right? The, the numbers I've seen and we've worked with typically is we're looking for 15% and above, right? But okay. these are strategic projects, right? And okay. uh, we're talking about big established companies, yeah, yeah, right? which is, is a big boat that yeah. you want to keep the momentum in the right direction. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so just to, so that's super clear. And just to come back on that NPV, uh, the discounted is, uh, as you mentioned, Samis, the fact that we take into account the time value of money. Mm -hmm. And so we discount what the money will be worth in a year or in two years or in three years, etc. So it's not as simple as it's going to cost this much and you take mm -hmm. out this much. Uh, so, so it's going to cost this much and make you this much. You also have to take into account that the money in three years is worth less than the money is right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're going to spend, let's say, a million every year, uh, the money that you spend in year three, the one million you spend in year three, is worth more than that right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, you'd rather have the million right now and spend on something with a higher return on it for example yep. so you need to make sure that it's better to spend that million in three years that you hold now mm -hmm. for in three years on this project versus putting it in the bank with an interest rate or something like Correct. this yeah. right yeah. that's why it's not as simple as money in and money out it's also the discounted value of time mm -hmm. exactly oh interesting that's cool super clear how do fmcg companies usually fund their projects and so you touch upon engineering project mostly so mm -hmm. they i guess Uh, another department comes with look we are looking into uh, introducing this new project on the market can you please enable it so you do so and how do you fund those projects exactly okay. how does it work the way we typically fund projects so most FMTG companies mm -hmm. are self-funded so what okay. does that mean is when you're looking to invest and this is really for capital projects right so yeah. a new factory a new line a new product that requires technology okay. and what does this mean this means that you're actually funding your investments from your yearly cash flow. Okay. Right? You're funding this from the income that is coming into the company mm -hmm. last year, the current year, etc. Yeah. And so that's why that's how we typically fund. Okay. Right? If it was to be a smaller company, it's different, right? Yeah. Because uh, smaller companies or, or, or startups, typically the way that you'd be looking at it is you don't have necessarily reserves. Obviously. You don't necessarily have huge cash flows or incomes or you don't have cash flows at all mm -hmm. so then typically you look at either for issuing debt yeah. or issuing equity those would typically be the two instruments that you'd look into okay wow and so the size of the company enables it to fund all its project around the world with its own cash flows i mean with with its own funds normally yes okay normally yes. Wow, right that's, that's 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 what's important in especially if you look at the fmtg industry right mm -hmm. it's not disruptive it's not tech it's yeah. not uh it's not uh 20% index growing business year on year, right? So oh, what you're even though trying, the latest years, uh, some industry does pretty well. <laughs> two, two, two special past uh, years, yeah. indeed, indeed. But what you look is, what is looked at externally at these companies is mm -hmm. consistency, right? Okay. And consistency, you're looking at it not only from the cash flows, but also how you're putting the investment, but also in terms of the lot of debt, mm -hmm. you're looking at total shareholder return. So there's there's a there's a big story behind it in terms of how you manage. And that's why the best way for an established company to mm -hmm. keep momentum is to one, have the adequate cash flows to be able to fund its maintenance, but also its future growth. Okay. 
Amazing. And so all everything is self-funded at the engineering level. How does how does it work exactly? Like in the project funding, what's the role of engineering there? Will you say, okay, look, we want to make this new project, but mm -hmm. we need that much amount of money in order to enable it? What's the the role of uh, project management, engineering, and the director in this con in this context? The first part that we actually take is we're involved in, in the early phases of a project already, right? So okay. if, if if a product is conceived and uh, there is a certain level of market research that you know that this has a high probability of moving forward, mm -hmm. we step in as engineering, right? Already. Uh, okay. We step in to understand what's, what is going to be needed to make this come to life, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what's the technology that you need? What's the size of the factory that you need? Uh, where are you going to produce it? And obviously all these inputs then come out with the number, the capital investment number, right? Okay. So when you're in the early feasibility and definition phases, is we're there to provide that range. And that is okay. a super important range for the two factors that we talked before, defining the net present value of the project, yes. right? Uh, because that capital investment is a big hit in the first one or two years. It's yeah. a negative balance on it. And then obviously that then generates the rate of return. Okay. So that's our first step when it comes to feasibility. If the project passes those financial hurdles or that criteria, mm -hmm. right, and then everything keeps on supporting it, so further market research, uh, further product feasibility, etc., our job then starts coming into the delivery element, okay. which is instead of providing a range, we look at what technology specifically is it that we're going to use, how much does that cost, mm -hmm. what does it take us to uh, buy it, ship it, install it, start it up, right? Okay. And making sure that everything that's around it, right? So it's not only equipment, but it's also the facilities, could be land, could be a series of things, right? But mm -hmm. everything that is related to the one-off investment that you need to do to make this project come to life. We build an estimate. We build what is called uh, a budget okay. that yeah. in the end will be the final element that will allow us to really confirm to the business this is what you really need okay and then the business really takes a decision we move forward or we don't move okay that comes to the decision gate and then in the, the last part really is during execution mm -hmm. our job is super important because we need to understand one are we within budget or not yeah. that's number one number two is if our project lasts beyond three months six months a year two years mm -hmm. it is super important that we understand how our spending flows throughout those months because okay. whatever we spend is money that we're effectively taking out of the company's pocket yes and so the company needs to know what they can count on or not mm -hmm. in terms of our spending throughout the years so we manage not only are we within budget or not but also are we within what we're planning to spend okay through and so this is where it gets interesting for our corporate treasury listeners you're um essentially uh, managing the <coughs> investment budget of the company or a portion of it, right? So a lot of FMCG companies, a lot of companies in general have very big, let's say, research and development budgets, which engineering is part of as well, but then also into delivery and investing in capacity increases. So say your market is growing, you need to install more factories. You're the ones spending those mm. millions of euros, dollars, etc., right? And your cash flow out is significant to the company's overall balance sheet, mm -hmm. right? What's what's capital exp uh, expenditure? You mentioned capital specifically. What's that? And what's the capital is the money you need to buy a piece of equipment, the money you need to buy a piece of land, the money you need to buy people to install, 
that piece of equipment, the money you pay your engineers to design it. So that, that's what's capital. Why do we call it capital? It's because this money that you end up paying mm -hmm. ends up being the final value of the asset that you implement, mm -hmm. right? So okay. uh, once it becomes part of the final asset of, that you implement, then it becomes part of the ongoing expense in terms of the depreciation. So capital is every single effort and and uh, and asset that you buy that will translate into something physical that mm -hmm. is used to produce your product. And okay. you can depreciate that asset over multiple years. Yes. Right. So you don't have to spend all. So you spend all the money then, but then the value of that is taken off the books over time, right? So there's a bit of accounting. So your, your capital impacts. Yeah. So what you spend to buy on that year impacts your cash flow directly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Your depreciation will become an ongoing expense. So yeah. your, exp your depreciation over year one to year 10 to year 20 will impact the future year cash flows of what the company will have. Okay. Okay. So the capital is the amount of money that is used in order to implement the structure that will be used over the years to enable the project. Mm -hmm. And in that, you uh, squeeze in also the people uh, that build it, do some part of the capital expenditure. It's not like operational expenditure, which is the, mm -hmm. the other one. This comes into the capital as well. So you can depreciate the labor, uh, the labor amount of money as well. The objective is not to depreciate the amount of labor as well, but okay. the objective is also to drive efficiency, on yeah. it, right? But the truth of the matter is, uh, when you buy a car, yes, right, the price that you pay for that car, which becomes your asset, that mm -hmm. includes the price of the operator that built the car. Okay, it includes a fraction of the engineer that designed that car, right? Mm -hmm. So, in companies, you have to translate those same efforts yeah. into the equipment factory. that you yeah. will have or the factory that you will have on the line that you have to operate okay very clear um so we touched upon cash flow and capital and the difference mm -hmm. so the cash flow you just mentioned the amount of money you spend is literally going out of your pocket right now but accounting wise you're gonna depreciate it so it's gonna be written in the books over the years mm -hmm. uh, so we would like to go into a little bit more into cash flow and I think there is a cash flow target uh, mentioned into those FNCG companies. Mm -hmm. They have a cash flow target yearly. Uh, can you walk us through what that is exactly? So, before talk, so why are targets important on cash flow? Cash flow Indeed. can be used for a series of things. Mm -hmm. Typically, companies use it for uh, paying dividends. If they're paying dividends, okay, right? Buying back shares, right? Which helps them obviously bring in further value. They can be used to create reserves. Reserves can be used to create acquisitions. So, right when you're looking to grow your business and you want to acquire competition mm -hmm. or a startup, you need to have money yeah. in there. You need to have money somewhere stashed in in, in a drawer, right? Um, and then, basically, capital is the fifth is the fourth element of that, right? So, okay. which is in the end, it's the it's the bloodline to keep your business growing. Mm -hmm. If you invest it from your cash flow and you've invested in a, in a wise manner, right? Yeah. You can keep your business growing, you can keep your cash flow growing, and you can keep on fulfilling the other three okay. that I mentioned, right? Why are the targets there? Mm -hmm. The targets are there because, as I mentioned before, FMCG well-established companies, they're like a big bolt. The, yes. From a, from a shareholder, from a market value point of view, from a, from a trust point of view, mm -hmm. right? I'm always talking about investor relations. You want to keep the momentum. Yes. And ideally, that momentum is not the flat momentum, but it's a growing momentum. So yeah. that target is there is to ensure that 
what is being done year on year is allowing you to do those four things. Okay. Pay back your dividends and ideally grow them yeah. on a basis. Uh, buy back shares. Okay. Right? Why so would you do that? You buy back shares. There are a series of reasons you can buy back shares, right? Mm-hmm. So big companies typically offer compensation or certain portions of compensation in stock options. Right? Yes. When those get exercised, the company needs to either buy them back, yeah. right? Uh, or give them to or give them to the employees. Mm-hmm. Ideally, there's a recurring in which they buy back. So there needs to be a certain amount of cash flow dedicated to that. Yes. Number two is Buying back shares is also one of the best ways to provide shareholder return. What does that mean is as you reduce your number of shares on the market mm-hmm. and if your earnings is growing, your yeah. earnings per share will grow. Indeed. Your shares will become more attractive. Your market cap becomes more valuable. Your company becomes more attractive, essentially. Okay. right? And that has a series of implications. And I think you've talked that before. One is for financing reasons, for sure. Mm-hmm. right? But then obviously from a, from a shareholder value that's truly desired. Okay. And so where do they end up exactly? Just out of curiosity. So um, a company buys back its shares. So it becomes equity. I mean, it was equity. What's what's the mechanism here exactly? When the company buys back its shares, it basically takes them away from the market. Okay. Right. So it, pri- it privatizes them, so to say. It okay. burns them away. Okay. Right. So uh, if there are 10,000 shares of a company out in the market yeah. and in a specific year you buy the company buys 1,000 of them, it's mm-hmm. not that you still have 10,000. No, you will have 9,000 okay. of those out there. Okay. So basically, on the financial statement, we will see less equity because this equity is not is no longer... You will see less number of shares. Yes. But in principle, your equity, your value, your dollar value should stay the same or higher. Okay. Depending okay. on how your earnings are going. Because yeah, the earnings per share is what gets adjusted there. That's yes. right. right. Exactly. Less shares, same earnings or greater earnings makes the ratio even better. Yeah. Okay. We bring it back a little bit to corporate treasury. Yes, sorry, that's fascinating. <laughs> so that's why I'm... <laughs> the, the cash flow, right? That mm-hmm. Cash flow is one of the pillars of corporate treasury that we've defined Absolutely. in our first episodes. Cash flow we defined as the availability of cash, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so by definition, spending that cash makes it less available. So when you say we impact cash flow um, as a engineering director or as an engineering department that's investing in capital projects, right, we said, um, you're negative impacting the cash flow. You're reducing the amount of available cash mm-hmm. the company has because you're spending it, Correct. right? So you have a cash flow target and you explained that the reason for that was why is the target so important? Why do you need to declare cash flow and stick to it? Two things. The targets are important, especially for public companies, right? Yeah. Companies that are out in the market that have stocks, that have shareholders, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and because performance is, whether we, whether we like it or not, performance is managed and looked at on a year-on-year basis. Obviously. Those targets are set up on a year-on-year basis, right? So if you have a certain percentage of free cash flow that you want to generate year-on-year, mm-hmm. right? That percentage is what allows you, as I was mentioning before, to pay dividends to your shareholders, yeah. buy back your shares, continue to build ideally your reserves. Yeah. But it's also what then allows you to make sure that you have the right amount of cash for the next year okay. to keep on investing back into the business and, and, and growing it. The project fund your projects. Okay, indeed. So the cash flow targets are important for all that. So it's not only giving investor confidence by showing that mm-hmm. you've set a target and you hit it, um, but also so you can project what's going to happen next year, right? Exactly. You you know that you're protected in terms of what is going to happen next year. Then obviously it's not only a year on year base because 
investors and trust in companies comes from a history of performance, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So that history of performance, that history of targets and the value that you're generating is what keeps on giving the boat the momentum. Mm. It so you're not looking quarter to quarter, you're looking year to year or years. Year to year is very, very important, right? Uh, when it comes to investors, quarter to quarter might be important yeah. to read into the signals. Yeah. Right. To see directionally, to see directionally how things are going, right? But this is where this is this is more financial analysis more than uh, corporate treasury. Indeed. Okay. What we like to do in this podcast is well, obviously talk about the what, what is it, uh, cash flow targets? Why do you set them up? Now we like also to ask how do you do that? Like mm-hmm. how do you say okay this year we're gonna have these cash flow targets? How is it set exactly in FMCG companies? So. Like everything, so the first thing is we plan, right? That's what we yeah. what what we mean. What do I mean by we plan? The part that we plan is we forecast. So uh, we're not working today on the project we need to do tomorrow, and working on tomorrow the project that we need to do the day after, Indeed. right? As I mentioned before, there's the strategy element where we do have a vision of two, three, four, five years out. Right? Okay. So there is let's call it what would be the short term forecasting, mm-hmm. which would be the forecasting for the next year. Okay. Typically, it starts well ahead the beginning of the year because you have to go through the iteration process yes. right you need to understand how many projects are on my wish list right or what do i want to do on my wish list okay what is the business planning to do right are these two matching right? mm-hmm. and then taking the decisions so that we can firm up what actually is going to be the budget for the next 12 months okay and that gives us the forecast for the next 12 months in terms of what am i going to spend from january to December mm-hmm. okay uh, that once we have that narrowed down that allows us to tell the business I'm spending two million January three million in February etc and the business from there can forecast the remainder of their cash okay nets or cash out to predict what the cash flow is going to be for the company okay. and are we within target or not okay then you also have the long-term investing, right? Because, as I mentioned before, not all of our projects are month-based. Some of them mm-hmm. are year-based, right? Okay. Uh, also, consumer products are forecasted on a growth basis, right? Mm-hmm. Is how much is it going to grow in the next 24, 36, 48 months, okay. right? So that also needs to come into the picture, but more of a strategic element, right? Okay. So what does that tell me? It tells me if... Um, a product that I want to make in two years' time will no longer have enough capacity or equipment to produce it mm-hmm. means that at a certain point in time, the company needs to take a decision. Yeah. Either we stick with what we can make and we won't sell anymore, or we decide to invest. And those type of investments have a longer time horizon. Okay. Right? So that's what I talked about. The plan, there's the short term, yeah. and that's the 12-month, and that's really what matters a hundred percent from the inputs into the company's financials and then there's the long term which is what allows the company to take the strategic decisions okay okay planning is relatively easy Mm -hmm. the second part comes to executing right basically what executing is executing and monitoring we set up a plan for the 12 months Mm -hmm. so then we have to look at what is our process going to be from daily weekly monthly quarterly and yearly basis okay. to make sure that every single project manager knows what she or he is spending, right? How is that relating to the forecast mm-hmm. and how are we managing any specific changes, right? 
And this needs to be done, like I mentioned before, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly basis, because there are changes. Okay. The business is dynamic, right? Things start, things stop, yeah. things get delayed, uh, someone falls sick. Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of reasons for which these need to be managed, but because there is one, a target, and because the consequences of not meeting that target could have an impact, mm -hmm. these changes ideally need to get managed. Okay. Right? So it's not only an exercise that you uh, plan super early, so even before that the year comes, part of the long-term planning that happened some years ago, mm -hmm. because you look at exactly. for coming years. Yeah. You also need to be super accurate when you start the fiscal year, I imagine, mm -hmm. with the setup of the targets. And then you need to monitor and direct to drive the big boat, as you just exactly. mentioned. Okay, and I pretty much like the concept of wish list. So you have a, a list of projects, of which I guess you look at the NPV and the ROR that we just mm -hmm. talked about. And then you select the project you want to implement for this year and you set up the cash flow targets according to those stats. The, the cash flow target is set up ahead. Okay. Right? Because because most of these companies come with a series of histories. Yeah. Right? And they come with a long-term vision. Okay. Even before I started in the company. Right? Okay. Uh, these these targets are already set up typically. Right? Okay. Or they're very, very closely set up. Yes? Uh, so that doesn't mean that from an investment point of view, one year I can do half a million and the other year I can do 20 million. Mm -hmm. No, not necessarily. It needs to be, it needs to be within a, a standard, right? Okay. But as I mentioned before in the year, that early part, planning part of the process, mm -hmm. the process is iterative, right? And as I mentioned, is the business does make choices. So there are okay. moments in which sacrifices might be made because there is a strategic investment mm -hmm. and that it needs to come with communication. Or if we're in, let's call it normal growth mode, Right, is what are the choices that need to be taken to either one, a project that I need to take off the list because okay. it's hurting my cash flow, or maybe a project that I need to put into the list because it will help my productivity on that specific year. Okay. Right? So it's an iterative process that goes until the moment in which we really need to close the books and say, this is going to be our year. Okay. Can you take out a project after it has been started? Like, okay, this actually doesn't bring at all the NPV or the ROR we, we were expecting. Or all of a sudden, we foresee that the product that was meant to be out of this project is not going to be sold anymore because there is a mm -hmm. trend change whatsoever. Does it happen to like uh, stop a project? Uh, anything can happen. Yes. Okay. yes. Uh, to completely stop a project, small-scale projects, that can happen a lot of times. Okay. It happens in early phases mm -hmm. of the project. Okay. Right? So... Uh, As I mentioned before, and I'll keep on mentioning this, it's in established <laughs> companies, right? Yes. There, there, there is a tendency to be very conservative mm -hmm. when it comes to cash flow impacts, okay. when it comes to impacts on the treasury, right? Uh, it can happen late in the process as well, but that's more rare. Okay. It more, hap more often happens that it's not necessarily stopped, okay. but delayed, right? Okay. Uh, than anything else. Yeah. And you can even like, do you ever move projects around, like even slow down the execution of a project to help your cash flow targets a little bit or speed them up to help your cash flow targets? Like The project themselves, no, right? I mean, uh, typically when you have a market window where you need to launch, you need to yeah. launch. Mm -hmm. no, there's, there's no going back, right? Customers are counting on you. Consumers are counting on you. You do not want to break that trust. That's, that's, that's what pays our, our yeah. salary at the end of the month, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but within the engineering framework, within the project management framework, there are ways in which you can 
handle that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you can either put projects on hold which are maybe not externally impacting, so a productivity project which only impacts internally. You say, okay, I'll slow this down because the productivity hurt or the cash flow hurt is going to be too much. Mm -hmm. Or you can accelerate uh, projects that might have been in the pipeline for the next fiscal year yeah. when there is a clear opportunity. Right. Okay. So imagine there's a huge bump up in the sales of a company mm -hmm. and uh, you want to make use of that momentum to build in further growth. You have that opportunity. But yeah. once again, these are always decisions that get taken at a uh, high level. Yeah. Mm? Okay. Super clear. Um, so I guess the challenge here is not only to set the target, but the, to achieve them with as much accuracy as possible. How do you do that on a... I mean... How does that translate into your job, the day-to-day -day job, or as a director in, uh, in engineering? Okay. So, we talked about the plan, we talked about the forecasting, right? Mm -hmm. But these organizations, my organization, they're, they're big organizations, right? Yes. You have uh, tens, twenties, thirties of people who are managing different projects across different regions, mm -hmm. right? So, in the end, it's, it's a process where things start at the lower level, right? So, yeah. let's call it, it's maybe either a specific product or a specific region, where you have that drumbeat that I mentioned before, mm -hmm. weekly, monthly, and people are looking at where are we versus target, what are the deviations, any possibility to compensate, right? So it's, it's a dynamic process. And in the end, it's as simple as sitting around the table, looking at the data and taking the decision. Mm -hmm. Then basically that process has to get scaled up. It has to get scaled up in two directions. One, you need to go from the local level, yeah. whether it is country, product, platform or regional level, it needs to scale up to the global level because okay. in the end, corporate treasury in a big company is global. Yeah, Every region has its impact, right? So we scale up in that factor and then pull up the number into the specific target that is that, that company has. Mm -hmm. And then the other factor that we scale up is throughout the, throughout the year, right? Okay. Monthly is important. Quarterly is a higher level of importance. Yeah. Yearly is super important. Okay. Right? Because in public companies, you do issue official reports on a mm -hmm. quarterly basis. So that's where you want to make sure your indications are right. Yeah. right? And then obviously, when you close a year, that's when uh, all the cards are laid out on the table. Okay. And so, touching upon that, you want to be as accurate as possible. Do you also seek um, going above target? And by that, I mean either spending less or earning more. Or do you want to remain into that specific window that has been set no matter what? So you won't look at, okay, it seems that we are not spending as much as we expected on this project. It could be seen as a super good thing because you are spending less, so the ROI will be better, the NPV will be better. Mm -hmm. How do you monitor this exactly? This is the importance of the scaling part, right? Okay. Because it's not one project that typically drives these companies. It's mm -hmm. multiple projects. So of course. Indeed, there are always projects that are spending less, always projects that are spending more. Mm -hmm. But the scaling part of moving from the local level to the regional and global level is super important because yeah. in the end, it's checks and balances at the end of the day, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and the sooner you are doing that process, and that's why it's important to do the monthly drumbeat, the sooner you can intervene, right? Okay. Uh, so what you want to do is you want to, the ideal way that the cash spends is you see a, a linear chart from the bottom left to mm -hmm. the top right where there's your 100 percent yeah. truth of the matter is that fluctuates over time that okay. scaling and that looking at where a project is spending less or a project is spending more allows the right people to take decisions right okay. either we stop we start or we accellerate what's okay. wrong with spending less 
that doesn't make any sense. Like, surely spending less is a good thing. You said, like, we need to check if someone's spending less and then compensate. Like, spending less should be a good thing at a company level, right? There are two things. So, spending less, spending less is always a good thing, yeah. right? Okay. Uh, but the way, and now I'm going to talk with an engineer's hat on. Yes, yeah, we're, we're, engineers, we're, 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 we're freaks, <laughs> yes. <laughs> spending less consistently means that there's something wrong in the process, right? Okay. So what are you doing is, imagine 50% of your projects spend 50% less. I'm exaggerating, mm -hmm. yes, but for the sake of the exercise. Perfect. At the beginning of the year, you've told externally you would be spending something, from a cash flow target. It doesn't necessarily say that it's going to be project X, Y, Z, right? Mm -hmm. But your capital projects spend 50% less and you end up at the end of the fiscal year with that amount of money spent less. Yeah. That is a lost opportunity for the company throughout okay. that year, which already the company was counting on spending that money, mm -hmm. mainly on capital projects, but it could have been spent on several other activities. It could have been spent on discounting product to sell more. Yeah. It could have been spent on R&D for new products, right? So. It's good to spend less when it is intentional. Mm -hmm. It's okay. not good to spend less when it happens by chance. Because right? the company loses out on spending that money on something else because you said you would spend it this exactly. year. So they said, okay, we're not going to touch this money. If you come back and say, hey guys, I didn't spend it. They're like, well, we're glad, but you know, we could have spent this money on something, something else. else. Instead, it's just cash sitting Indeed. in our bank account. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. Indeed. That's a good That's reason. Absolutely correct. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So the objective is more, you had a target and you missed it. So you said, I like this idea of something wrong with the process. If you're consistently spending too little, yeah, you're setting the wrong targets. And then like you're, the faith in your company's like ability to project manage, your faith in your company's ability to say, do what it says, even if it turned out positively, but in that specific context, do what it says could, could be could, hampered. Yes, yes. If it happens repeated, for sure, trust gets eroded, right? Very clear. Anything else you would like uh, to add to help us like better understand the implication of cash management? Because this is what we're talking about here. Cash flow forecasting, cash flow spending. Um, as a project manager, <laughs> anything else we missed? Uh, I think the, the only thing is as project managers, but mainly as it's called from an engineering point of view. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we need to take into account, it's not only capital that has the direct impact on cash flow, right? Okay. There is an organization behind it. Yeah. Right? And, as, and as I mentioned before, early on in the episode, I think I mentioned one of the things that we do is it's the endless search for productivity, yes. right? So it's not only the management of capital, but it's also the management of resources, right? So okay. the amount of engineers you need, the budget that you have to manage those engineers that is not necessarily project related, mm -hmm. right? That is also very, very important, right? Because that, even though that does not impact your cash flow, it does impact your overall budget for the fiscal year. Right, okay. so it actually tells Daniel, I spent a hundred thousand last year. What's my ability now in the future to spend ninety-eight, and in the future to spend ninety-six, and mm -hmm. in the future to spend ninety-five, whilst delivering my cash flow targets, whilst delivering the product innovation, whilst delivering um, the, targets, the, the, the projects needed. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's not only about making things come to life on the shelf, but it's also how to manage an organization, and an organization in the end is. An expenditure for mm -hmm. the company and an expenditure as you know impacts corporate treasury yeah absolutely super clear we'd like to touch upon payment terms for mm -hmm. supplier payments are well obviously at the center of corporate treasury as well right it's the money going out so you need to foresee plan correctly etc what are typical payment terms 
and by that I mean in terms of delays mm -hmm. uh, or anything else that could be relevant for corporate treasury with the suppliers in FMCG companies. Mm -hmm. I'll talk it in two aspects, okay. right? Because there are uh, their payment conditions and then their payment terms. Exactly. Right? So, because I could decide when you buy a car, normally, I mean, if we're well funded, you mm -hmm. buy the car cash or check, right? Yeah. You buy it immediately, pay it immediately. Uh, if you can't, you buy it with credit and you pay it over time. Yes. Right? For a company, the, the best way to do is to always pay over time, right? And so those okay. are payment conditions. So when we're buying, uh, when we're going to build a factory, mm -hmm. you're not going to pay for the whole factory as soon as you say, I need a factory, yeah. right? So that's the first part that, that plays into it, right? And so the, the, the payment condition, so to say, is uh, when you're looking for a big piece of equipment or you're looking for building a factory, mm -hmm. you obviously, you want to build trust with the person who's going to give you yeah. So you do have a down payment, right? You want okay. to facilitate that person to buy their materials and start assembling, right? So, and it typically it's, 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 I got ahead of myself. It's typically split into three parts, right? You okay. have a down payment, which makes sure that the individual or the company that needs to supply to you something has their cash flow mm -hmm. to buy the materials and start yeah. the work. The second payment typically will come when there's something that is already delivered, mm -hmm. is built. You might see the piece of equipment or you might see the building completed, right? Okay. And then you have the final payment, which comes to performance, right? Okay. What you've asked for actually does what is intended to, okay. okay? And so that's an important part of the project manager's forecasting process, mm -hmm. okay? Because then... She or he will know what goes out in July, what goes out in September, and how much will go out in November, yeah. according to how their plan has been. Then there are the, the part which you mentioned, which are the, the payment terms, mm -hmm. right? Which is, we can decide to pay suppliers on immediately. We yeah. can decide to pay suppliers on 30 days, on 40 days, on 50 days, 60 days, depending, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that typically comes in as well as a negotiation tool, right? Yeah. So what does that do is that means that even though we've sent out the payment for that supplier, mm -hmm. there will be a delay from the moment we've acknowledged to the supplier that we will pay them to the moment that that money actually comes out of the bank. Okay. Right? And that gives the company, that gives us those 30, 60 or 90 days of extra time in which that money can actually be applied mm -hmm. on something else that drives more value. Okay. Wow. So that's a... Uh, and typically, you talk about those 20, 30, 40 days. What are we looking at in FMCG? Like, would you like to? I guess the the farther in the future, the better, because you can sit on your cash and use it for more meaningful project. Mm -hmm. More meaningful project. I mean, um, you can gather interest on it to the bank, exactly. for example, for longer. Invest right? it, etc. So the farther, the better. But what are we? The further, the better for the company who is paying, yes. right? <laughs> the further, the worse it is for the company needs to receive. So to say, right? Uh, yeah, okay. The the payment term so the amount of time that you can actually extend it can come in two manners right mm -hmm. uh, a customer a company that usually comes to this supplier every single year and knows that they're going to spend yeah typically they would not have an issue in paying 60 days or 90 days 90 days is already probably to the extreme it's a lot in these types right yeah. but 60 days is something that you'd see usual okay why because that trust is there because the trust is there and probably because the financial institution that supports this supplier mm -hmm. knows and understands that this money will come in, right? So okay. they can actually tap into their lines of credit if they need to or whatever okay. it is, right? 
Instead, if I'm a new company, I'm just coming into the business, I go to the same supplier and ask for exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time you come in, you're going to need to pay everything now. Okay, right? So there's a lot of it that is related to trust. There's a lot of it that is related as well into weight in the market. Okay. Right? So more established companies have more leverage mm-hmm. in terms of the amount of time that they can delay to pay. Okay. Younger companies have less, obviously. Okay. And so when you're looking at establishing a new relationship with a new supplier, then the payment terms will be adjusted compared to the traditional 60 days or even more uh, in certain cases. But so starting a relationship means adjusting a little bit your payment terms. And then when you have built trust, you can further extend the, the payment. Could terms. normally mean adjusting the payment terms, right? Okay. But don't forget you have the two levers. Exactly. Because you can either use the conditions yeah. or you can use the terms. To, to leverage both of them. Yeah. Yeah. To manage your cash flow to, out. To, to manage our cash flow out, but also mm-hmm. to, I mean, if it's a supplier who we really want to work with, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We need to understand if there are any trade-offs. And then it's the responsibility of the project manager to then understand, okay, can I compensate this through Other, yeah, something other else? cash flow. Yeah. Okay. So it's a combination of, do you trust the supplier? Do you really want the supplier? Then you maybe give them more favorable terms you're willing to pay more upfront, mm-hmm. and if you're like, well, actually, the supplier I know can sometimes give me bad uh, equipment or bad services, so actually, I want exactly. to change my payment terms to be later until they've actually given it to me. Exactly. So it's also so. Do you have different suppliers with different payment terms? Not only on how long you've been with them, but also on how much you trust them. Like you, as a project manager, trust them, or how good you think their services are. Yes, that can happen. That can and that happen. really is at your level as a project manager to decide? or Typically, in big organizations, yeah. you do have a purchasing organization mm-hmm. within it, right? Exactly. They are the people who lead and who are actually legally uh, enabled to have these conversations, right? Okay. The role of the project manager is to work with these satellite organizations, so the purchasing one, as you, as mm-hmm. you rightly mentioned, Hussam, to then liaise with the suppliers, mm-hmm. right? So uh, obviously in big corporations, the individual needs to be always taken out of the factor. And the project manager being a person who has access to a lot of capital mm-hmm. needs to be taken out of the factor from a stewardship point of view, from an accountability point of view. Okay. And you mentioned this other really interesting aspect as well, which is, so you could come in with a supplier and say, hey, look, um, we're going to give you a down payment of, let's say, 30%, right? That's going to be once we issue the contract, right, to start our services agreement. Say mm-hmm. you're buying some equipment from them. You say, okay, we're placing our purchase order with you. Um, down payment is 30%, but it's a 90-day payment delay, right? You said something about they can then get line of credit against that? What so there are, two, there, there are two things that actually can happen, right? Is um, I think you guys have mentioned this in one of the previous episodes, right? So a company normally will always have a line of credit to short to fund your short-term financing, yes. right? So yeah. suppliers will normally have those, yeah. right? So if they know and they can show the, let's call it the, the receipt mm-hmm. that we are going to give them for the down payment, that typically facilitates for them to tap into their line of credit okay. and ideally not, either not pay the interest rate or something. The other thing that some FMCG companies have is because they are big companies, huge cash flows, mm-hmm. they work a lot with financial institutions, yeah. there is something which is called a supply chain financing, right? Which is what they do is they actually, instead of using the supplier using their line of credit, they can tap into, let's call it an, an innocent line of credit, supply chain financing, mm-hmm. backed by the company that is buying the piece of equipment. 
where they pay, I'm going to say a symbolic, but they pay a very low level of interest rate, yeah. right? So that actually allows them to pull their cash forward. Mm-hmm. And then when those 90-day time comes, it actually goes to the financial institution. Yeah. And then, but the supplier at the same time has had all the money that they needed to to start their prep work front. Okay. So supply chain financing is, just to summarize then, so you as the uh, FMCG company or a big company, right, are buying uh, something from a smaller supplier, let's say, mm-hmm. right? That supplier, you have a payment term of 90 days on that. So as soon as you say, hey, look, yeah, we're going to pay you, but we're going to pay you 90 days. Then there's an intermediary, like a financial institution, like a bank, which would say, hey, we know this big company. We know they're going to pay. Um, so you can borrow money from us at a lower or better interest rate than a normal loan would be mm-hmm. because we have this guarantee from this bigger mm-hmm. FMCG or cash or big company that says, hey, look, uh, this is going to uh, be paid in 90 days. Uh, so that smaller supplier can get the cash earlier with a much better interest rate. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And right. you call it supply chain financing. It's supply chain financing. It's really interesting. Yes. We should do an episode on that, Gil. Absolutely. <laughs> what you just described is factoring, and that's a, that's a very good idea of result. Definitely, we'll touch about that. Future. And just, yeah, digging uh, just a little bit deeper here, how does it work the other way around? So the FSTG, FMCG industry, sorry, typically your clients are retail companies, the ones that sell the product to the end customer, right? Do you know about the payment terms of those? Because retail companies are, are known to also have very long payment terms. So how do you sit in between the suppliers to enable the production of your products and the retail companies? I do not know the specifics, okay. but I do know that in the end, the balance is that we try to pay our suppliers as further away as possible. Indeed. And we try to get paid as fast as possible. Obviously. Okay. And so also just to make sure that our overall, our overall balance is... Mm-hmm more positive than negative. Okay, makes sense. And have positive cash flows. Mm. Fair enough. So, another topic we'd like to touch upon, Daniel, is uh, the concept of free cash flow productivity and how uh, there is an overall strategy around that. Mm-hmm. Um, some FMCG's companies uh, really put that forward, even on their websites or, or such things, to say, look, we have a very good cash flow, free cash flow productivity. Um, why is that? Why is it something that companies look at and put forward in their uh, communications? Free cash flow productivity is in the end is the free cash flow divided by the, the net earnings that okay. the company has, right? So that's where the percentage number comes in. Um, and it's an accredited accounting measure that public companies are mandated to have to a okay. certain extent, yes? What does that measure tell you? That measure tells you is how much and how much money is the company generating and is able to either set aside for whatever purpose it wants to mm-hmm. versus the money that's coming in, right? So okay. the higher that percentage is, the, the, more, the, the healthier a company status is, okay. okay? That percentage target gives a series of signals, especially to investors, right? Okay. The ability of a company to, one, sustain its payment of dividends mm-hmm. and ideally grow over time. Yeah. The ability of the company to buy its shares back as part of the total shareholder return mm-hmm. uh, model, right? The ability of the company to build its reserves, right? Okay. For acquisitions or future investments and the ability of the company to fund itself, right? So as we mentioned before, how do, do FMCG companies typically fund their products? They're self-funded. Yeah. So you want to make sure that that uh, bloodline mm-hmm. is there year after year. And that's what that percentage number is very, very important, right? So anything above 0% starts to be healthy, right? Uh, But what 
is important in terms of consistency and consistency in growing companies especially is how frequently you actually want to meet the target and how consistent is that target. Okay. A company that in one year delivers 90% and then in the, the second year delivers 50%, investors are going to look into, right? Okay. Why have I only delivered 50% in the second year? Is there something that's clear, right? So that's, that's, that's the very, very important and sometimes the fixation that established companies have, uh, especially when they want to look to keep on thriving throughout the years. Okay, and so just for the sake of uh, our understanding to us all, free cash flow and net earning, the difference is in the free cash flow, you don't take into account the non-cash expenses that you would for the net earnings, such as um, depreciation, amortization, uh, unrealized gains or loss. And this will allow you to look at very from a cash flow standpoint, where do you sit uh, compared to the net earnings when you take everything into mm -hmm. account. But uh, thank you, Lena. That's, that's mm -hmm. super clear. Um, What does that mean at the group level and project management level? We have this free cash flow productivity, this percentage that is very important for the shareholder returns. That's something mm -hmm. you mentioned quite a lot, uh, quite sometimes in this episode. How does that translate into what you need to do at group level and project management level? So uh, big companies normally don't rely on one single product or mm -hmm. even one single type of product, right? So uh, there is the tendency to organize into subcategories, subcompanies, however you want to call it, mm -hmm. legal entities, right? So The group level has a specific target, yeah. right? But that specific target is the contribution of each of the team players, mm -hmm. right? So that cascades down from what the company itself, which is showing the face to the investors, mm -hmm. can count on on the different parties that are in it. So that then cascades into the different groups. So it can be uh, an FMCG companies, it can be the biscuit group. Okay. It can be the laundry group yeah. and it can be the diapers group, right? Yeah. And then inside those groups themselves, you have people, as I mentioned before, right? You have, yeah. there's a global setup, there's a regional setup, there's mm -hmm. a national setup, right? So, and as it cascades down, that's where the information needs to be passed down onto, down to the single individual who is managing a capital project to mm -hmm. understand what his or her role is in contributing and achieving that target. Okay. And hence the importance of those daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly exactly. review of the cash going in, exactly. and the cash exactly. going out, especially yeah. compared to the work yes. what's going in. And just to make sure that it's not over intellectualized, right? I mean, it's it, the practical point of view. Is, of it's not that each project the individual knows their specific contribution, mm -hmm. but what's important is they know their target for that year or for that quarter, yeah. and the targets of his or her partners will all add up to delivering that, right? Okay. If one of them starts failing or there's the ability, there's the inability to compensate, mm -hmm. you're going to miss out on your target. Okay. So with like such a big company structure, it's really you're a project manager, you have another project management in your department, let's say, uh, you try and compensate between the two of you <laughs> for your group, uh, not group, for your uh, team's, let's say, yep. cash flow targets. If that doesn't work, maybe you go one level up, see if you can compensate exactly. there. If that doesn't work, you go one level up. Eventually, if you get to the global level and you can't compensate, then you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ideally, you've, you've told that early enough, yeah. right? <laughs> But that's why it's important, the, okay. the weekly, the monthly. That's interesting you touched on told it early enough. Do you also like, I guess then, because we said about spending um, is important because or spending targets are important because you're releasing that cash or not to the company to spend mm -hmm. in other ways. Um, so I guess you also need to be rewarded 
if you are able to spend less because you manage to do something in a cheaper way, for example, you want to tell the company as early as possible in the fiscal year that, hey, either you can give this cash to another project mm-hmm. or you can overall restate. Do you restate ever your cash flow targets? They can be restated internally. They can be restated, right? Uh, externally, the company decides whether to restate them or not on the quarterly basis, right? Yeah. When they have either their shareholder court or their quarterly earnings calls, mm-hmm. right? That can be a moment in which restatements can happen. If you look at it, I mean, not talking FMCG now, but if you look at in the past six to nine months, throughout quarter one and quarter two, especially in 2022, a lot of companies have restated what their earnings would be. Not necessarily free cash flow, but all of that has an impact on it, right? So that can happen, Uh, not desired, obviously. I mean, FMCG by nature is a very dynamic market, right? Mm -hmm. So demand can spike or drop off within a year. Um, And assuming maybe you want to delay some projects because you say, hey, not worth the investment because we look at our demand profile now and it's just not there anymore. Um, but it would have to be quite a big shift, I guess, it, to be able to It'd have justify. to be a very, very, very big shift. Yeah. Typically, capital projects would not be the single reason for that shift, right? Typically, these are external, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a, a war, it's commodities, it's yeah. pandemic. It can be a series of things. Very clear. Anything else you want to yeah. touch on in overall how your role uh, or the roles that you've worked in or the departments that you've worked in influence the treasury of a large company? The only thing, I mean, the last thing that I really like to drop off is in working in an FMCG company, you probably don't realize that when you start, mm-hmm. but as you grow, uh, as you understand what spending capital means, right? And having access to that project and what the impact is that on weekly, monthly, uh, quarterly spending, uh, it's something that will grow with you, right? Okay. Uh, from my experience, from a corporate treasury, and uh, and and what I've learned over the past years, and what we talked about here is, I'd recommend everyone to take it and do it personally. Okay. Uh, do it personally because if we manage our finances mm-hmm. like a corp, like a good corporation manages <laughs> their treasury, shoot, that's halfway for our success. So your cash flows. Keeping them positive, uh, setting yourself a spending target. Indeed, indeed, indeed. <laughs> finding ways to compensate. Finding ways to compensate. <laughs> to compensate. Yes, that, that's what I would say. That, that, that's the last thing that I'd really like to leave, especially on, on this topic, right? Is whatever, a lot of the things that you guys talk about uh, are actually applicable also to the individual. And that is it's something that's super important. Super interesting. Daniel, thank you so much for your expertise. Thanks so much. It's been great. It's been great, guys. Thank you.